everyone to Goddard in the World podcast. My guest today is George Sapio. He earned his MFA in playwriting at Goddard College in, I believe, 2007. He is a playwright, director, producer, and dramaturg. His play, Ghosts, won the 2001 Mildred and Albert Panowski Award. He produces and hosts the podcast Onstage, Offstage, now in its 10th year, featuring interviews with theater professionals from around the world and live readings of new short plays. His book, Workshopping the New Play, A Guide for Playwrights, Directors, and Dramaturgs, is published by Hal Leonard Applause Books. He was the founder and artistic director of the Ithaca Fringe Festival 2013 to 2017 and founder of Wolf's Mouth Theater Company and Bad Dog Productions. He is also a photojournalist whose book Collateral Damage features his pictures from two trips to Iraq in 2003. Welcome, George. Well, hey there. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) How are you today? I'm doing great. Yourself? How's yourself? I'm great. I'm great. It's, um, what is it? It's winter. Yeah. Winterish here, coming on winter. Um, here in New York, but you are coming from where? Uh, I am coming from disgustingly beautiful Costa Rica. (laughs) (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) I I have to qualify that somehow because I always get the same thing. It's 40 degrees here and it's going down to 12 and there's (laughs) snow and I hate it. And, you know, it's people are always like, so what's the temperature? I'm like, mm, 72. And like, ah. 72, always? <laughs> like, that's, that's, let's just say it's a median. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it did get cold the other night. I had to put a pair of sweats on. What a yeah. crime. <laughs> I know. The things I go through. Uh, oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. But you grew up in New York? I did, yeah, New York City. New York City. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So. So what was your what was your childhood like here? Like you have uh playwriting is obviously in your blood. <laughs> playwriting your didn't career. come in until much later. Um Okay. Okay. I, I was always a storyteller as a child, read a yes. big liar. Um Okay. <laughs> we lived in downtown Manhattan, uh right across the street from Bryant Park until okay. I was five when the entire block of tenements burned to the ground. Um, Whoa! Yeah, so uh, we spent some time in Greenwich Village after that, and then we moved to okay. the Bronx because we figured, yeah. you know, yeah, and lived there until oh my goodness, uh, many many years later, and then I moved to Philadelphia, and then we came to Costa Rica. Wow! Oh, no, no, wait, I've just lost thirty years. We moved to Ithaca, a little small. <laughs> Ithaca, New York. Sorry That's about right. that. Ithaca's, Ithaca. Ithaca's a bunch <laughs> is in here. <laughs> it's in there. Yeah, you know. It's like yeah. I'm, I'm going. I'm going through the, the litany of where, where okay. I live. Yeah, you know, Ithaca, New York, where old hippies and Volvos go to die. It was a wonderful place. I really loved it there. That's awesome. So, so your biography is peppered with writing and other forms mm-hmm. of storytelling, like the photojournalism. Yeah. Um. So. Is there an early experience that you remember uh, that you had with storytelling that made you want to pursue it as a career? The earliest thing I can come up with uh, 
was on a test and I can't remember what grade it was. I think it was late grammar school. And we had to write a short story based on a, pick something from a list. So I picked the big game and which was ridiculous because I was in no way athletic. And um, <laughs> I started writing background. I started writing backstory. I led up to what was going to be this monumental, accidental, you know, home run where he becomes the. And 35 minutes went by. I had seven paragraphs written, and I was still in my home looking for my baseball glove or something. I don't know what it was. <laughs> and the teacher came back to me after grading the test, and she just looked at me and she said, What the hell were you thinking? And I was like, Well, just, you know, it's a story. No, 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 no. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And she, she gave me the best piece of advice I'd had up until then was write the story, don't write the nonsense that goes with it. Uh, and I, I'd like to qualify nonsense mm -hmm. because there are a lot of prose writers out there. And sure. Because that, you know, it's different than playwriting. And it was long yeah. before I ever thought about writing a play. I mean. That's, that's awesome because I, I wrote plays like when I was younger, um, yeah. like in, in grade school, but I've only started writing plays again, like in the last year. Yeah. And but I've loved theater for a really long time, but, you know, loving it and watching it and writing it are mm -hmm. different things. <laughs> but write the story, not the nonsense, uh, I think is very wonderful advice, especially for a playwright, uh, yeah. because I, I tend towards a lot of exposition yeah. and stuff. And I'm like, oh, wait, that's that's not interesting <laughs> to watch, you know, like it's different in a novel of obviously. Um, I think that uh, that piece of advice does really help pare down to the essentials, you know, and, yeah. and think about, you know, what, what's important here and then just hang everything off that. One of the things I was telling, I used to tell my uh, beginning playwriting students on this very thing, write the action. Mm -hmm. Okay. Show us what's happening. And this is the hard yeah. part because I coupled that with go through every line you've written and attach a verb to that. What is one character doing mm. to the other character, parenthesis, S, whatever? Why are they saying this? What are they doing? This is, this is, yes, this is a story, but this is a series of manipulations and reactions. People have wants, other people don't want them to get something. Um, so it's a battle. It's show me the path, the, the path of obstacles that you face getting from the beginning of the play to the catastrophe, mm -hmm. denouement, whatever it happens to be. And then I usually just let that sink in for a second and I look at the whole group and I go, for God's sakes, don't bore me. All right. Yeah. Keep me interested. All right. Mm -hmm. Once I start to get lost, you've lost me. Mm -hmm. So. Keep it perky, keep it fresh, keep the action. Even if nobody's physically doing something at the moment, they are mentally looking for something, trying to get something. I want to see that struggle. Right. So, yeah. And yeah. 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 No, that's great. Did you watch a lot of theater when you were a kid? I had the bug in high school and I lived in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. And. Mm -hmm. None of my friends had really ever seen a play. We, we'd gotten so little instruction in, mm -hmm. uh, or introduction to the world of theater, to the world of poetry, to the world of 
literature. Uh, we had a few stories that we were supposed to read, and you know, there's reading comprehension and all that sort of great stuff. But nobody said ever, ever said, "How do you feel about this? What do you think happened mm. in this particular story?" And okay. I loved live theater. I loved watching people on stage in front of me pretending to be somebody else, telling a story. And mm-hmm. I started going to theater as early as I, as I possibly could. I think I was like 14 or 15. I would go down to the city and get a half-price ticket and go mm-hmm. see things like The Magic Show or Grease three times or mm-hmm. Pack of Lies or whatever it happened to be. And it was always by myself because nobody else wanted to go. A, it's expensive. B, it's a play. I don't want to go that. I'm, you know, I want to go play basketball or something. <laughs> um, and I was terrible at basketball, by the way. So I'm like a complete klutz when it comes to anything sports money. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I ended up going and I just loved it. I never really thought about writing any of it. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I got tickets, uh, I got front row tickets to see Equus. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And that pretty much changed everything I thought about theater because sure. all of a sudden it's a horror story. And you can do this kind of stuff on stage. And it blew me away. And I was like, oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. So I saw it two more times. I actually, <laughs> I took my 10th grade English class to see this play. Really? Yeah. Well, the, 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 the teacher was like, we, we, we've got to get these kids to see some theater. And, and you see theater. I said, well, yeah, Equus is on Broadway. And it's right now, it's my favorite play. And it blew me away. And she said, well, let's, let's do it. And... She didn't investigate it, which she should have. And <laughs> did I mention I went to a Catholic high school? Oh, you did not. No. Um, yeah. That's um, <laughs> that puts a lovely wrinkle in the yeah. taking a bunch of fifteen-year-olds, fifteen-year-old kids <laughs> to see a play where religion is slandered, um, mm-hmm. and to see a teenage couple completely naked having simulated sex on stage while there's a bunch of horses watching. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) The the, the fallout was not exactly optimum, um, Mm -hmm. especially since, you know, it was probably their first view of anything biologically prohibited up until then. (sighs) Yeah. 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 But whatever, you know, it's, it's, it was an amazing story, and I think ultimately was beneficial for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. I hope, anyway. I mean, nobody's written me lately to say they're still scarred over the experience. So I never know. <laughs> it is for people who don't know. It is a very celebrated play. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Peter Schaefer, um, who also wrote Amadeus, and um, when. Uh-huh. I saw I saw it when Daniel Radcliffe did it in a <sighs> revival. Oh. Um, it was it was wonderful. Um, and R- Richard Griff- Griffiths. Richard Griffiths, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, th- and that was right after Harry Potter, yep. the movie franchise, finished. And so he was it, Daniel Radcliffe was like kind of getting away from mm-hmm. you know and serious and words. he couldn't serious have words. been more of a turn yeah <laughs> couldn't have been more of a turn yeah but he was he was he was great and it the play was great and so yeah it was it was pretty wild um there's a slight yeah. ad- addendum to this story 
Um, years, yeah. years, 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 years later, I was doing theater in Ithaca, in Ithaca. and mm-hmm. through a friend who was uh, uh, airline steward, got to know Peter Schaffer. Got to meet him because he was okay. going back and forth, right, um, from across mm-hmm. the pond. And mm-hmm. said, would you like to have dinner with him and meet him? And I was like, ah, ah, yes, please. Um, Amazing. So we sat at this big table. And due to the way we were seated, I was farthest away from him. And we, I couldn't really talk across the big table. So I was kind of waiting to get my chance. And the service was terrible. They completely blew it. Some of us got food. Some of us didn't. They made him wait till last. We're talking plus an hour. And he's not taking oh, this man. very well. When his food finally comes, it's badly cooked. It was just, it was a horrific, just a horrific experience. And mm. he was, he probably hadn't had any sleep in a couple of days or something like that. And he was, he was exhausted. So we're on the way out of the, of the restaurant. And I find myself next to him. And I said, you know, Mr. Schaffer, I'm, I'm a great fan. And he didn't really say anything. And I said, I, you know, I just wanted to tell you how much, Seeing your play, Equus has. I never want to hear about that play again. Oh no! And he didn't even look at me. He just turned around and he walked away. And that was. It was. You could hear it from coast to coast. It was this huge. Womp, womp, womp. And I'm like, hey, what did I say wrong? I was just. Like, oh my gosh. Anyway, yeah. So that didn't work out. Well, I'm sure he was just in a bad mood. <laughs> oh, was, I think it was just a bad day for him. Yeah. 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 Nobody wanted awful. to eat until he got his food and we're all sitting there. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Maybe everyone was not, not their best. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So what, wait, what was the fallout? Did you get in trouble? Did your parents get cold for, um, for having recommended the play? My parents did not get called, which was strange. I was okay. actually called into the principal's office. And at that time, it was Father Hughes, who was also my English, had been my English teacher. Oh, um, okay. And he had given us, he was rather progressive for a you know, priest of, of, of that age, he's like, Mr. Xavier, did you possibly think of the ramifications of taking an entire class to see Peter Schaffer? He's like, <laughs> no, but I've seen the play twice. And he's, he's like, you have? I said, yes. And there was like dead silence. And he says, I really need to give you better works to read in class. Obviously, you're up for it. And you have two weeks detention. That's all. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay, great. So, right. you know, yeah. But well, how did he step up works to read in class? He would give me separate works than other people. Um, yeah. He was, he was actually giving us a choice between Dracula and the Seawolf, both of which I'd already read. And I'm sitting there with a copy because I had just seen the movie of Barry Lyndon, Zachary. Okay. okay. Right? It's, mm-hmm. it's going to take... Stanley Kubrick to get you to read Thackeray. I said, yeah, that's the book you're going to work on. Okay. Um, yeah. And it was always kind of a, you know, it's a thing after that where I'd have a choice of what he recommended or I could come up with something else. So it was pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. I, I didn't good. get into that much trouble, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. 
I'm, I'm, I'm not going to postulate on the success of sex lives of any of my classmates. You know? <laughs> but, <laughs> That's yeah. probably a good idea. <laughs> okay. So that was high school. Mm. Um, and then college was your, your first couple Ooh. of years in college. Yeah, um, the play takes a nosedive. <laughs> well, tell me where where did you, where did you end up going, and did you pursue? Uh, well, let's see. I I made it into Manhattan College, and which was okay. fairly prestigious at that time. But it was uh-huh. also three blocks from my house, and in between my house and Manhattan College, there was a pool hall. So, guess what? I didn't end up going to. Sure. Uh, so that year was a wash off. I got tossed out of there twice. Then I went to uh, <laughs> Herbert H. Lehman College, which. I excelled in uh, radio station shenanigans mm-hmm. and creative writing, actually. Um, okay. Trying to write excuses to get my butt back into college after I came out with like a 0.3 GPA or something. I don't know what it was. Ooh. Yeah. First Is that years- 0.3? <laughs> yes, it's 0.3. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think I set a record. The, the, there's a plaque someplace, somewhere, you know, between the gym and the, and the boiler room um, <clears throat> saying, yeah, yeah. Maybe this point three is for just like registering, right? <laughs> <laughs> he showed up and signed his name. We got we to give him something. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> so. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. The first couple of years didn't quite work out. I ended up, I ended up going to work. Um, okay. And seeking, seeking my fortunes in, in the world of commerce and business. Uh, and I ended up at Newsweek magazine for a bunch of years. Okay. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and that opened my eyes to a lot of things, especially globally, because even though we watched the news growing up, and those are the days when they actually put the Vietnam War on TV. Wow. Which nobody does anymore, because you know, thank you, Colin Powell. We don't do body counts. Yeah. Yeah. Is that so? That's sort of where you cut your teeth. In journalism or photojournalism? Uh, f- both. I was, I'd, I'd been a photographer since I was a kid. My dad worked was a photographer and a photo tech. And he worked for a number of places, including Newsweek, uh, mm-hmm. you know, newspapers and such like that. And he would bring me in when I was five or six on Saturdays when they were way overloaded. And at that point, he'd already taught me how to process, uh, make prints. So he'd sit wow. me down there and destroy all the child labor laws. And I'd sit there <laughs> right. breathing in these horrible chemicals all day long. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I would pump out a couple of hundred prints. Um, just wow. those, in the, those in the days you don't, you don't email anything. You physically mail it or you spend 40 minutes on this crude fax machine sending it to Washington. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I learned how to use a camera way early. I learned darkroom stuff literally yeah. as a child, and I fell in love with it. Um, I wanted to be a photojournalist later. I wanted to be an artsy photographer later, and mm-hmm. I was meant for other things, but I loved what I did. Mm-hmm. That's where the photojournalism thing came in. Once I actually started working with the actual news, reading the stuff that the correspondents set in, reading the magazines, being a lot more well-versed in what's happening outside of my little bubble. You know, 
what's going on in Europe? What's going on in the Middle East? And what's not making it into the magazine, which was also interesting right. stuff. Um, sure. And that, you know, that was kind of the basis for you know, the, the bit of photojournal, photojournalism that came later. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. What did you learn? Because uh, if your your dad was a photographer and yep. for for Newsweek, you said he was um, he was a photographer earlier for places like uh, INP Journal American. He would travel okay. with this this four by five camera to <laughs> mm -hmm. political rallies and football games and things like that. Uh, um, and then you know once he started getting older, he ended up in the dark room pretty much 100% of the time. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. D did your dad teach you anything like f formally or or informally um about how to tell a story through photography? He he was a grab the moment kind of person. He was a news Yeah. All right, photographer. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, if he's at a football game, you you get the quarterback throwing, you get the tackle, you get you know, the, yeah. the, the critical moment. Um, if you're photographing a parade, you get as close to somebody with, you know, somebody that the, the who will be recognizable. Okay. Yeah. Um, he was not so much a teacher as someone who set an example for that sort of thing. He was mm -hmm. very, very good at what he did. I mean, mm -hmm. his photos were dead on, razor sharp, and they were the kind of things you would come back to look at. He had a great eye and an amazing mm. instinct for finding the right moments, which is, there are two things about photography that are critically important. One is finding the right moment. If it's something that is time sensitive, something that is going on, if there's an action, you have to have an instinct mm -hmm. for it. And the other is learning how to paint with light. All right. Because it's not just catching the moment, it's catching the moment in a way that the dark and light complement each other and provide mm -hmm. some kind of a subjective, dramatic moment with inside your process of assimilation. Mm. That's a lot of big words. Okay. <laughs> it's lovely. It could be a pull quote on, <laughs> yeah. on photography. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so turning back to playwriting and teaching, uh -huh. sure. Um, from what I've read in in workshopping the new play, you you were already a playwright, yeah. Prior to pursuing an MFA at Goddard, so what yes. what made you start writing in that medium? Uh, <laughs> I always loved telling stories, and when I was working at Newsweek, I had access to computers. Yeah. And I could store my own yeah. files. So I started writing all these weird, terrible short stories that just popped up into my head. And mm. in the period of about four years, I cranked out about 70 of these things. Obviously, I had things to say Whoa. in stories. Well, yeah, I know, right? Um, like three or four of them are any good. But I mean, you know, it's it's early stuff. Um, you get yeah. used to doing it. It's like, hey, it's like playing a musical instrument. You want to play guitar for the first three years. Yep. You're terrible. And then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. you start getting better. Um, as long as you practice, as long as you keep doing it. And once I moved to Ithaca, I started going to Tompkins Cortland Community College because I had never graduated from college. And I thought, oh, geez, you know, if I want to be, I'm thinking of teaching. So I need a degree. 
And one of my English teachers there, a uh, character named Ron Starmer, uh, he and I got along famously. And he was directing, he knew my writing. I was giving him stuff that I had already written. And he was directing that year's drama club presentation of The Lovers by Harold Pinter. And without going into exquisitely horrific detail, uh, there were problems with the production. <laughs> and that were not his fault. Okay. Um, it was a combination of actor casting and, and technical things. Um, mm -hmm. So we're at the cast party and it's late. It's like 2.30. And he walks over to me and he says, you should write us a play. And I said, you should go away. And he said, no, 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 no. Seriously, seriously. If, if, if you write us a play, we'll put it on next year. And I just looked at him and I said, no, you should really go away. And he said, I'll let you direct. And I was like, how soon do you want mm. it? <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. And uh, did, did I mention it was late? And there were, yeah, okay. Um, we were both tired. <laughs> and it was a cast party. Yeah, cool. it's around it was a cast party. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I thought about it for about a week. And I'd never written okay. a play before. And mm -hmm. I sat down and I said, okay, let me just try the first idea that comes into my head. And three days later, I had three quarters of a full-length play, a, okay. a, a comedy, just this weird little comedy uh, about a guy who wants to be a writer and he's, his wife is frustrated because he keeps writing these high-toned, you know, um, short stories that, that are meant for literary magazines. And, uh -huh. but he keeps peppering them with the most salacious sexual bits. It's porn. It's really porn. Okay. Uh -huh. but, <laughs> okay. but it's high toned porn. Okay. Right. It's, it's, it's love scenes, explicit love scenes written as if, you know, Shakespeare had had a, had a a, a turn at this thing or Ben Johnson or something like that. And yes. I made right. a joke out of Ben's Johnson. Um, yes. So I basically wrote this thing in four days. Okay. And you know, I was terribly pleased with myself. I'd never written a play before I got from one end to the other. And in my estimation, sure. it, didn't, yeah, it didn't suck too bad. Um, yeah. And we put it on and the audience seemed to like it. And I thought, Oh, well, you know, Hey, I had so much fun with this. Let me do this again. So mm -hmm. I wrote a couple of more plays, one of which went on to win the 2001 uh, Panowski Award, which completely blew me away. And that was where I was introduced to stage three of playwriting, okay. which is, and there are some folks who will disagree with me, but workshopping. And yeah. that was completely, I had no idea this process even existed because I thought I wrote a play. Let's put it on. Yay. Broadway. Here I come. Da, 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 da. You know. Right. Uh, yeah. And they sat me down with my play ghosts mm -hmm. and the actors were there and we spent the first half of the day reading it. And then they would ask us questions. They would ask me questions. Why is your character mm -hmm. saying this? What's happening here? Do you feel and also, I'm getting these technical questions, these dramaturgical questions 
Sure. And I started to feel a little bit attacked because I had no idea that people were going to. I thought this was going to be like a week of rehearsals in prep mm -hmm. for the later production in November. This was in June. And it was explained to me that this is part of the process. We go through the play and we workshop it, we read it, and we ask you questions about it. We never tell you to change anything, we just ask you things that occur to us. As we are processing the play, and I've got seven actors around the table, all of whom are experienced, and the director, who is the late Dr. James Panowski, um, one of theater's saints, uh, yeah, uh, a, a good man in, in all ways, um, and he explained to me that this is the process. I don't have to change a word if I don't want to. It's my play. But these are things that people are coming up with. Are they making me think about anything? And I realized, oh my gosh, I can start changing lines. I, wait, hold on. I, I, I can make this scene better. I never liked that word. Let me, let me throw in a couple of lines here because um, she should have said something. You know what? I'm going to put that in right now. Yes. Oh my God. The second half of the scene is absolutely terrible. And mm. I had one night where I had to rewrite a scene and it was my favorite scene in the play. And they said, the first half of the scene is great, but the second half doesn't go anywhere. And you've got two and a half pages. That's going to translate to a very long downtime. And the audience is, you know, I was like, oh, boy, now I've got to make something happen. And I've got a week from start to finish to work on this play. So I've got to come up with something by the wow. morning. It's, and my wife will tell you, this is probably one of the worst nights in history because I was frustrated I was actually a little frightened, but I knew I had to change something. And it took me till about 5 a.m. to churn out a new scene. And I brought it in, and they read it, and there was dead silence. And I'm thinking, oh, God, I suck. I'm never picking up a crayon again. And they just clapped. They're like, this is amazing. Wow. And I think it was that moment and that week that showed me that even though, you know, I might not make fortunes in playwriting, this is what I do. I'm good at this. I'm not very, I'm not good at many other things in this life. Okay. Because A, I'm male, B, I'm a klutz, and yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> but playwriting is, is something that I do. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah. If, um, it was an amazing week. I got a much better play out of it, and the production mm. was outstanding. I mean, I had a huge set. I mean, we're talking sets that pop up from below the stage and fences oh, that come amazing. in. You know, it's, it was it was like off Broadway, and technically, it was. <sighs> there's nothing better. There's absolutely nothing better than seeing your play five times. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what got me started in workshopping. And wow. after that, you know, going to conferences and talking with other playwrights, not everybody was acquainted with the concept. And mm -hmm. there are some playwrights who are, you know, it's more power to them. Nobody's touching my work. Nobody's going to tell me what's, you know, what, how to change this, how to rewrite my play. And that's not the point. The point is never to rewrite somebody else's play. Okay. Mm -hmm. The point is to say, this is what I thought. I'm wondering why they said this. And can you mm -hmm. explain to me why this happened? Um, and you lost me in 
you know, scene five, I just, I, after the first couple of minutes, I just couldn't concentrate on what was going on. I just lost it. So you find out what your audience thinks about or what your actors think about it. And you consider possibly, if you want to, making a change, shortening it a bit, you know, adding a couple of lines in, being a little bit more, I call it making, fleshing the play out and bringing the play to its best possible fruition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and I started looking around for advice on this sort of thing. There really wasn't. There's drama, a couple of dramaturgical books where you, you get taught to look at a play and examine it that way. And mm-hmm. I think one or two, and I thought, well, hell with it, I'm going to write a book. So mm-hmm. it took me a while, a year and a half, something like that. And then getting it published was another nightmare. But eventually, hey, you know, it's out there. And I'm hoping that people get something out of this because yeah if you can make your play better mm-hmm. and that's a word that i, I use kind of skeptically if, if you can bring your play farther along the developmental process then that's mm-hmm. good i think mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah well i think it's you know i so i picked this up i picked up the book i was visiting uh, the newly opened drama bookshop. Yay, drama um, bookshop. We love you. Yeah. <laughs> um, which had closed down in its old space. Yeah. And then Lin-Manuel Miranda and a couple of other people um, helped revive it in its mm-hmm. new space. And the, it reopened, I think, just this summer, maybe. And so it was one of my few outings, like, in COVID times, um, it it was, I, I, I wanted to go, I wanted to see it. And, um, I, I just, that was my day, like date for the day. (laughs) I was going to go there. And so I was wandering around and, um, a friend of mine, um, just started, uh, this program. I think it's, uh, at Goldsmiths in London. And, um, like right, I I don't remember if it's writing for performance, but they do a focus on dramaturgy, and that's uh-huh. what she was like really interested in. Yeah, and so I wanted to learn more about dramaturgy specifically, but there's not a ton of books like you just said. Um, right. There's not a ton of books on dramaturgy, and so I was just wandering the the aisles of drama bookshop, and I saw this book, workshopping the new plot play a guide for playwrights directors and dramaturgs i'm like oh that's interesting and so i started flipping through it i'm like oh yeah i want i want this book and then i lo- <laughs> then i looked on the back and saw it was um by george sapio and earned an mfa in playwriting at goddard college i'm like what <laughs> that's amazing so um so i was even more excited. Yeah. When I started reading this book, I've, I really love the, what you've reiterated a couple of times, how the feedback is not to get you to change the play. Um, The feedback is just to understand the response and the questions that an audience has, um, you know, or participant has while they're reading your play, while they're performing your play. Um, because theater is such an interactive media. (laughs) And so, so it feels really important to 
to know that, you know, like, and, and it's humbling for sure, you know, because, because we write in solitude yeah. and it, it can feel, um, hard to get those questions. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know? perspective from one point of view, especially your own very subjective perspective doesn't really cut it unless yeah. you have an idea how the 135 people in that audience, they were all going to react differently. Mm -hmm. I've had so many yeah. different reactions to, to things that I've put up that I've learned that, you know, if 25 people say one thing, okay, maybe you need to look at it. Mm -hmm. But if one person here, two people here or something like that, come up to you with issues, eh, okay, consider them, but don't take them to heart. Um, but right. these are the reactions that you're getting, right? These are the things that people who've paid money to see your work Right, are walking away with. Did they like it? Right. Of course, you want everybody yeah. to love it, right? Um, yeah. Did they fall asleep? Did they get lost? I saw yeah. one woman during an early draft. It, this was a workshop reading of one of my earlier plays, and I really wanted her opinion. I looked over in Act Two, and she was asleep. Oh. And I thought, okay, I need to look at this play <laughs> a little bit better, and. Yeah, I talked to some, I talked to some, I do this with every single play. I was like, please don't tell me you like, just tell me what you thought. And yeah. some people will actually give you their gut on that sort of thing. And whether it's laudable or whether it's, I've got more rewriting to do and disappointing, you know, I, I, I think it, if it pushes you in a direction where you can make your play little bit better than what it was or flesh it out or fulfill its potential in scene six or something like that. Yes. Yeah. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've really, I think I'm going to say this and I really think I've checked most of my ego at the door when it comes to workshopping things. Um, mm -hmm. I've learned to accept the fact that they will kill my best joke every single time. <laughs> um, <laughs> Seriously, George, uh, you're very clever. You're very funny. We laughed like crazy. Take it out. Oh, no. Uh, Boo. Yeah. <laughs> but you know something? Most of the times that I have done that, the scenes have snapped together like it was nobody's business. Right. So I'm a big fan of cheap jokes, and yeah. I'll put them in in my first 72 drafts, but once it gets to like production level, I'll probably take them out. Yeah. 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 It's, it's hard to c kill your darlings as, uh, as they say, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, really sucks. <laughs> 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 but if it's not communicating your message, um, or if it's slowing things down or whatever, then yep. save it for another day. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not yeah. all, you know, red carpet and endless banquets, you know, it's, Mm -mm. It's work and yeah. it's not always happy work, but no. I really try, I really, really try to put the play first and, mm -hmm. you know, my wife Maura will give me her gut on this thing, knowing that the next couple of days are going to be hell because I'm going to be in tears. You don't like my play. You don't want to it. And, <laughs> but she's got amazing instincts and mm -hmm. she's a playwright herself. Damn good one, by the way. Okay. And, um, I trust her. She's the first person who sees anything that I write. Uh, yeah. And her 
reactions and our observations are always spot on. You know, I, I, I get a script back and sometimes it looks like Tarantino's been at it in the last scene of his, you know, one of his movies when everybody's bleeding eyeballs and that sort of thing. It's, uh-huh. it's just red from one, from the beginning to the end. It was like, you hated it. No, I love it. But these are just some suggestions. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, yeah. It goes from everything from you misspelled your own name wrong to <laughs> there's a gap here or this isn't right or something. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm really happy and thankful to have that filter there. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's great to have a good first reader. <laughs> yeah. Especially in your home. Yeah. Sure. She's a little too smart for me, but that's a different Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Mara is also a graduate from Goddard College. She is. Um, yes. Did did you meet there? No, we or met at Newsweek. Or... Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Many, many moons so ago. you've been together yeah. for a long time. We've yeah. been together, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Incredible. Be, yes, we have. That's awesome. It's been Did you oh, did you go to Goddard together? I went first. Okay. And I would come back from all of my residencies inspired, psyched. I never wrote as much in my life because mm. I was with a cadre of like this was this was dude ranch geek camp for writers and playwrights and poets and you know i never wanted to leave it's it, the hay barn and the music building mm-hmm. that's what i hope the afterlife is <laughs> i really do Aww, um, yeah and we shared so much and i learned so much just from talking to my peers and to my colleagues and listening to what they wrote, because some of this was astounding material, astounding material. Um, mm. And the instructors were out of this world. Um, mm. Leslie Lee, I had for the first two semesters, and what a gentle, sweet, loving man with an eye for things that was razor sharp. Um, mm. Yeah. And. He helped me along so much. Then I had the inimitable Jackie Reingold, who, by the way, complete coincidence, is going to be my next guest on Onstage Offstage coming this December. And Ooh, yes, awesome. and Jackie was absolutely amazing. And then I finished up with um, Kyle Bass, and uh, Kyle was wonderful as well. So I had a I had a really good selection of advisors who helped me out in mm-hmm. different ways. I mean, I'd learned one thing from Leslie. I'd learned something else from Jackie. And then Kyle would totally turn it on his head. Kyle would give me playwrights to read and, and plays to read saying, you should look at this. And to be perfectly fair, I think I liked maybe half of what he gave me, but I saw the reason for him giving me stuff, plays that I would never have produced, plays that I would never have written. Um, either mm-hmm. because I don't have the background and experience and the knowledge to to work on that sort of thing, uh, or I just I just found it distasteful, or I just didn't like it. But mm. everything he gave me, I I learned something from because we had to do all these annotations. Right, I must have done like fifty annotations. The first first twenty three were fun. By the time I yeah, got yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's an amazing start yeah. to a Goddard story. 
Yeah. The first 23 annotations were fun. <laughs> By the time I got to number 38, I understood that the A and MFA meant annotations. I'm not going anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it was an amazing I, – I loved it. I, I literally could not get enough. You know, it's during those graduation ceremonies where even mm-hmm. the most stolid and unemotional people will just break down. Um, mm. Yeah. Anyway, so Maura heard me talking about this the whole time, and she gave it a, you know, she went, and you you have to talk to her about this sort of thing, but she came out with what I consider as an ass-kicking play, and I think she learned a lot of things about, because he is an amazing writer when it comes to journalism. She's she's one of the top journalists I know, and I know a few of these uh, folks. Um, Yeah. And, but creative stuff is different. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, it's for me, playwriting is, it's so much easier than having to be factual. I mean, good God, I want to look stuff up. Um, I just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even, I'm, Love that. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I've done a couple of historical plays where I've spent literally years, years mm. researching stuff. All right. Just so I can get mm-hmm. it right. But, mm-hmm. Most of the other stuff, I don't have to look stuff up, and I'm perfectly happy not to do that. I think for her, it was, it gave her a new perspective on telling stories and putting words down on paper. And mm-hmm. she took to it like a duck takes to water. So, you know, she's probably anything she puts her hand to, she's not really great at. So that's awesome. Yeah. She, so she also went for playwriting. She did, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she wrote a play uh, based on our mutual, our trips to Iraq in 2003. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Not the best time or the best yeah. country to go. <laughs> Where's the nearest war zone? Uh, yeah. Let's go there. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about that. Like, so you you went in 2003, um, <laughs> yeah. the two of you, mm-hmm. right at the beginning of of our, of we the went- U.S., more that time. <laughs> yeah, we went in February to March. We spent like five weeks there. Initially, Saddam was still in power. Yeah. And, you know, never having A, been to a war zone before and never been to a country where there's just an outright dictator <clears throat> for the right. last few years, I'm going to say here. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was... A very strange experience. It was a frightening experience in many ways. But as time went on, we realized a great many things that, and it really rammed home that the government of any country in the world is going to be completely different than the actual people it's governing. Um, people are people. Sure. Nobody, nobody wants mm-hmm. to go to war except the people that don't have to go, right? Um, right. You know, war is completely failed politics. And if we get to that point, then we should be kicking the politicians out instead of sending our families and our friends to go settle their issues. Anyway, um, it was an amazing experience. I shot 50 rolls of film at least. Wow. The economy was in a shambles. but with almost without exception, everybody we met over there, every Iraqi welcomed us into their home, gave us dinner. They were all poor. I mean, we're talking dirt mm-hmm. poor. 
um, saying, yes, we know you're going to attack, but we like you, you know, we think you're friendly, you know, we, you know, and it was a hellacious experience. And then we went back in June, July, after the war had already started, the invasion had already started. So, okay. um, and that was a completely different experience. Um, there were firefights several times a day. You get used to it after about three weeks. Then you get used to the random gunshots that sound like they're coming from 12 feet away. And you get used to parts of the city literally burning down. The air is so thick you can actually taste the particles from, mm. yeah, whatever's going on. Um, and the people were still wonderful, mm. you know? And, and, uh, it's amazing what you can adapt to in the most hellacious of circumstances. Yeah. And yeah, it was, uh, so in between the first time and the second time, I took all the photographs, selected a bunch, put out a book called Collateral Damage. Maura and I wrote it, yep. produced it. And it was an essay on the people. Mm -hmm. There were no big players. These were the collateral damage. These were the people who were going to suffer when the bombs fell and when the invasion started. Right. And the idea was to get the idea, um, get the point across that these are just people. They're not warriors. Mm -hmm. They don't want to go to war. They want to live. They want to raise their families. They want to have love affairs. They, they, they want to laugh. They, they want to be normal like everybody else. And yeah. You know, these were just their faces. So I think George Carlin said a while ago, you know, if we're kept apart from the rest of the world, and that's unfair because if we knew people, if we were acquainted with people from other places and somebody wanted to go to war, people would say, hell no, I'm not going to go kill them. I know them. Right. You know, and I, it's a little Carlin-esque, but I think that's the point. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, we're estranged from most of the rest of the world, I think. And that comes down to the media and it comes down to, I'm not even going to say the word journalism in relation to what's going on, um, in most cases, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah. yeah, there were faces and I have no yeah. idea what happened to 99.8% of them or spent a couple of years after we got back trying to get a couple of the translators out because the translators were working with the U.S. Army. And they were pretty much left to their own devices after the Army had had enough of them. And you can't work with the U.S. Army and not be labeled a traitor or a collaborator. So they were always, right. yeah. So she got a couple out. And we're talking thousands and thousands of hours of, of dedicated work to do this. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Crazy times. How are you brought over there? Was it through a journalism like pass or whatever, or how did you know? How yeah, did you get there? It's, it's a little tricky. It was a group yeah. called Code Pink, which is I think still around. Medea okay. Benjamin runs it, and they knew a friend who knew a friend who knew Mara. And okay, they knew her journalistic tendencies, and they said, you know, "Would you be interested in doing a a, a trip to Iraq to uh, document?" the state of things over there and talk to the people. And yeah. Laura said, yeah. So she came back to me at dinner time and said, well, I've had an offer. And she outlined the offer. And I thought, well, that's the last place in the world I want to go. It's going to be a 
war zone. Right? Yeah. Um, and I don't Literally. Know, yeah. Yes. And I don't know anything about the Middle East. And yeah. uh, the next thing I said, I heard myself saying, so you guys need a photographer? Oh. And, <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm not the smartest Chips Ahoy in the bag. Um, <laughs> but uh, they said, yeah, we need a photographer. And mm-hmm. grabbed all my equipment. And mm-hmm. um, we went over for a few weeks. And we drove around from... Oh my God, Baghdad to to Crete to Mosul to wow. uh, yeah, um, Fallujah, Ramadi. We actually went to Babylon. I wasn't even paying attention that day because I was just I didn't know where we were going, no matter where we were, until we got there that particular day. And we get out, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's like this is Babylon, and it kicked in. This is the place that. That's like 12 billion years old. I mean, it's the, right. the, the dawn of civilization. Yeah. And yeah. Incredible. Saddam had pretty much rebuilt a lot of the walls and stuff like that. But the stuff along the bottom for the first six feet up was the original stuff. Wow. And it was a moment because all of a sudden I'm touching rocks that are, I don't know, several <laughs> thousand years old. This is the stuff we've been hearing about in history class forever. No longer yes. an abstract concept. And that is when the enormity of what we mm-hmm. were doing or what was about to happen. This is a place that should have been kept pristine solely for its historical value. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also solely for the fact that there are millions of innocent people here who are going to suffer. And yeah, yeah, it was, it was a crazy moment. Um, I just did what I did and just took more pictures. Um, I took mm-hmm. I took pictures of so many kids. You whip out a camera over there, and all of a sudden you've got two dozen kids. Take my wow. picture. Take my picture. And they pose. They smile. They give us the peace sign. They hug you when they're done. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah, you know it's they're 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 kids. They're children. These are kids that should be kept safe someplace instead of you know dropping freaking daisy chain bombs on them. Um, right. The second time we went back, the war is already on. Mm-hmm. Firefights several times a day. Neighborhoods are destroyed. Yeah, it's. It was very hard. It was very very hard to see. I I, I had this one little four year old girl. We we're in mm-hmm. a neighborhood. She was adorable, just gorgeous little thing. Um, and sweet, and what a smile. And the neighborhood had been destroyed, and. All the men in the area had walked around picking up the unexploded ordnance. We're talking fifty yeah. caliber bullets. There were thousands of them, thousands of them embedded in 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 the dirt, and Ooh. there were probably two, three dozen piles, three or four feet high, of mortars. Some ex- unexploded, some exploded. Okay. And this little little girl, she's like, "Take my picture, take my picture," and she's posing. And I was like, "Okay, great." So I checked the camera, make sure you know how many shots I've got left. I put the camera up to my eye, and there she is, just smiling, mm. holding an unexploded mortar. Oh, my gosh. Right by a pile of unexploded mortars. And wow. I'm like, okay, all right. I put the camera, I take the camera away and motioning with my hand, put it down, put it down. Go on, just do that. Mm. And she laughs and just drops it. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, life goes slow motion. I see this thing just goes, zzz, boink, <sighs> boink. Boink, and then it rolls away. <gasps> and I waited probably about two seconds for my heart to restart. 
Right. I reached over and I took her hand and I led her around the thing and I brought her back to where her father and all the other guys were. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think about her frequently, Mm. Yeah, you know, um, just hoping that she's somehow okay. Somehow. Yeah. Right. Because nobody was cleaning that mess up. Yeah. We drop them. We don't clean them up. Um, and you know, it's, it's symbolic of the way war is. You just, yeah. Anyway, wow. so we were there for a few weeks in 130 degree weather and yeah, I took a bunch more pictures and we talked to hundreds and hundreds of people, hundreds of people. And mm. there were only two incidences where we were ever, we thought we might've been in danger. Um, one mm-hmm. night we were coming late back from a curfew and mm-hmm. the other time some guy in Samara saw us talking to some some of the other people there and he came out and he started screaming at us and yelling and he went back and somebody says he might be going to get a gun. So we decided it was time for us to leave. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But I mean, considering everything that had happened. Yeah. And that was the only negative thing because they saw us, they realized we were journalists, you know, and um, yeah. yeah. But the scariest thing though was the soldiers. They didn't like journalists at all. Mm. So. The American soldiers yes. or the, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, half of them were kids. They had no idea why the hell they were, were over there. They didn't understand the political situation. Right. But they're, you know, members of the service and they are defending the country and they go where they are told. And yeah. that is their job. And, you know, to actually sign up to put yourself in danger like that is... It, it takes commitment and it takes heart and it takes bravery. It's just mm-hmm. I my problem with the whole thing is don't use these kids for failed policies. They have sure. they're gonna have families, they're gonna have lives. You know, there's no reason to send them over there to to for something that should not be happening. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So yeah. that was the book. Mm. So um what was Code Pink's mission? over there and and who did you write the book did you and Mara create the book for uh, we created the book for people who did not understand that there were innocent people over there who were going to be the victims mm-hmm. of failed policy right and I can't um, speak for code pink you're probably better mm-hmm. off finding someone from the organization who is willing to talk about it sure. um, for my own uh, uh, <laughs> I distanced myself from them. We okay. we started to differ politically, and and we decided uh, to take a. I decided to take a different route. I went to different places, okay. and yeah, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I I did what my job was, which I thought was to record the people, yeah, and to get a look at the faces that nobody else is going to show you. Yeah, or very few people. I'm not going to say nobody, but very few people are going to actually show you. Look. These are the people we're dropping bombs on. Right. You know, um, and, you know, growing up in the United States, we've never been occupied. Yeah. We, you know, it's between the distance we've enjoyed and the superiority we've had, you know, militarily, it's mm-hmm. nobody's come over here and said, oh, this is ours now. Um, right. But that's happened to so many, so many other places. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It's an unequal world. Yeah. 
It is. The book is very, it's available on your website. Um, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, but it's, it is heartbreaking because it, it focuses the photography, especially, you know, focuses on the children yeah. and others who are not targets of, on the, of the so-called war on terror. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's the, you know, the collateral damage, like they they were just in the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> I suppose is, is how some people would frame it. Um, so yeah, um, the, how did you, how did you distribute the book initially? And, um, when was it published? Uh, it was published in 2003. We actually okay, brought between the between the two trips. We got it published mm-hmm. after the first trip, okay. and uh, distributed mostly by word of mouth and okay. by a system. We you know, had a few thousand printed up, um, mm-hmm. and it got around the world somehow. People in mm-hmm. Cuba and other places were, uh, you know, remarking you know, that they had the book or it, it had reached them. It went went out through wow. the network, and we brought copies back. Mm-hmm. Um, to Iraq when we went the second time, and oh, wow. it was an orphanage that we went to the first time, and you know, it's, I must have blown like <laughs> I don't know how many rolls of film, fo- you know, photographing yeah. these kids. And one kid, he had this amazing little smile, <laughs> and he w- he had a full page in the book. Oh wow! And we went back to the orphanage, and he was still there. Oh, and we showed him the book, and. I have never seen a child react like this. Mm-hmm. He saw his own picture in the book and he just grabbed it and ran around showing everybody. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a child this happy. Uh, yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. But wow. yeah. <sighs> so uh, Mara wrote a play you said uh, on that about those those visits or those trips to Iraq she wrote that at Goddard uh yeah she did write that at Goddard that was her thesis play okay okay and I love it I, th- I think it's a wonderful play um oh. and I think it's a heartbreaking play sure but I think it's got a, it's 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 got a it definitely has a truth to it and mm-hmm. whether or not you want to talk about the protagonist or the antagonist or that sort of thing. It captures the essence of what it's like to want to tell the truth Mm. in a situation Mm -hmm. that does not lend itself to telling the truth. Um, Mm. But yeah, so that was, that was her thesis play. It was called promise inshallah, uh, Mm. which pretty much means the same thing. And in, you know, if God allows, which is, Okay. What people say over there, you know, I'll see you next week. Inshallah. You know, mm. I hope you're okay. Inshallah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Has it, has the play ever been produced? No, it hasn't. No. Okay. P- part of the problem is, is that a lot of the characters are Iraqi and mm. mm-hmm. we're of the mind where you're not going to put somebody into a role that is not specific they are not spe- specific to the role we need an Iraqi, sure. okay yeah you know it's uh, um yeah don't put somebody in there that doesn't fit 
that it's yeah. not, yeah, it's, it would be wrong to substitute. So yes. Yeah. Um, and in Ithaca, New York, there was, there was a particular shortage of Iraqis. <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but maybe not in New York, New York. <laughs> maybe <laughs> so, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be. It might be time to dust it off. And uh, yeah, it might be. You know, you should talk we'll to her see. about that. I should. I should, because she's in touch with a lot of people <laughs> that, <laughs> that I'm in touch with. And yeah, so yeah, there's a network. Yeah. Okay, so moving forward, um, you. Do do you host? Do you co-host um, on stage, off stage together? You no. and Mara? No, no, this is just me. That's yours. That's you. That's just <laughs> me. Yes. Are you kidding me, Mara? So so busy. It's just like yeah, you know, right? So yeah. now this this is uh, it was actually her idea in the beginning. We had a uh, Ithaca, mm-hmm. New York was getting its own community radio station starting up, and they were looking oh. for programming. Okay. And she said, you should do a podcast for, you know, talk to theater people. And I was like, I've never mm-hmm. done this before. I don't want to do it. And she said, okay. So I thought about it. And <laughs> then I thought, yeah, okay, let's give it a shot. Whatever. The universe has thrown this in my way. Let me see how far I can run with this. Uh-huh. I, I hate turning down shots. You, know, you never know. Um, <laughs> sure. So I went and talked to the radio station and they said, yeah, um, you're not going to get paid. You want to do this. You do this as a labor of love. And we can put you on, you know, you want it weekly. I said, no, nah, there's no way I can do this thing weekly. Mm-hmm. So I started off twice a month, and after two years, I went down to once a month. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think New York is a wonderful place for theater people, and it's mm-hmm. yeah. There's just so much theater going on there that I wasn't short for material or people to interview. And then mm-hmm. I started branching out more and more around the world. I've had people from New Zealand, from Australia, from Italy, and England, and. Everybody from actors to playwrights to dramaturgs to set designers to lighting design, you know, you name it. Yeah. Um, artistic directors. I'm, I'm trying to find something new now. You know, it's, it's, it's gotten a lot more, rather than celebrity driven, it's gotten a lot more geared towards the issues endemic in, in, in the vocation right now. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. why women over 40 aren't getting paid attention to. And their plays yeah. are not being done, and there were no roles written for them. And how persons of color are yeah. finally, you know, getting a very, very, very small, very tiny leg up into the opportunities that have always been predominantly for you know old white guys like myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the business is changing, especially now with the pandemic. So. Mm-hmm. We're going into January will be the first podcast of our 10th year. We started in 2013. Wow. Um, and it's been an amazing experience. I have learned so much and made so many friends. Mm. Just giving people a chance to talk about what they do. Because mm-hmm. nobody pays attention to, you know, the playwright. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if, if, seriously. Um, you know, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, unless you're O'Neill or Teresa Ribic or somebody right. like that, um, right? But yeah, it's it's an amazing business, and there's just so much mm-hmm. to talk about and so much to learn. Mm-hmm. And there are people everywhere who are doing something that nobody else has done. Mm-hmm. You know, people are writing about issues that 
should have been paid attention to many, many years ago. And people are writing yeah. about techniques in you know the science of teching or the intricacies of dramaturging, which you know one out of twenty five people might have heard that word before, and everybody says, "What is that?" Yeah, why don't yeah. you you know for people who are not familiar, including <laughs> myself, I mean, like you know, I I'm still learning for sure. Like, can you explain? Like, people know what a director right. is. Yeah. Some people know what the job of a producer is, and we can kind of guess a playwright, but a dramaturg. <laughs> yeah. Can you, yeah. Can you give give me um, your definition, I guess? Of, it, it's of a, it depends dramaturg. upon the forum that you're in at the time, what a dramaturg does. Yeah. There are many, many, many duties, and it's the one mm -hmm. aspect which is either not employed in many productions right? Uh, because we're either doing old classics, old chestnuts or something like that, which is, and that's a sp position where it should be employed. Um, yeah. Because I, what a drama. I think so. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> in the most simple and egregiously, you know, color crayon versions, it's a play doctor, somebody yeah. who understands, who has been an actor, been a director, been in theater, who analyzes mm. the work. Mm -hmm. and either recommends or points out aspects that need attention. Okay. Okay. Uh, they also work as historical verification. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, you, you, you cannot wear you know, a digital watch in a, a right. Greek play. Okay. Um, but they try and help you realize, help the actors and the director realize the importance of, you know, why Ibsen was so popular or why Ibsen was so, mm -hmm. so critical, okay, mm -hmm. to, uh, uh, to theater. And because mm -hmm. now it's like, well, that's just an old play. And it doesn't sound very good, mm -hmm. but it was important back then. And here are the reasons why. Right. Um, the duties are myriad, you know, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. A lot of dramaturgs, and th this is the, the thing I like best about it. This is what I really love working as a dramaturg on, working with new plays and working with new mm -hmm. playwrights. Because um, mm -hmm. a play has been done 25 times, it doesn't really need a dramaturg unless it's being done by people who are not familiar with why the play is important. Okay. But new work, okay, mm -hmm. um, does the play work start to finish? Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, is it complete? Are the characters fulfilled? Are the, do the characters round out their possibilities? Is it uh, an ending that is arranged at the last minute so everybody walks out whistling? Or is it an ending that might be, could have a little bit more emotional impact? Okay. Has it mm -hmm. reached its potential? Um, mm -hmm. And these are all things that you can discuss with the playwright, discuss with the director, and the playwright can say yes, the playwright can say no, which is always the choice of the playwright. This is the way I wrote it. This is the way I want it done. Or I didn't realize at the end, I thought there was something a little bit off, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But now that mm -hmm. you saw it, okay, now I know what's going on. Maybe I can, maybe I can focus on this. Um, mm. And they are there for... In established productions, they are there for, and I'm probably shortcutting a lot of these things. I'm going to get dramaturgs from all over the country going, you forgot to say this. 
um, to ensure the veracity and the integrity of the piece and in yeah. your work to assist the writer in achieving a potential that the play needs. Okay, as a playwright, mm-hmm. I went from, oh, look, I wrote a play, yay, to, okay, I'm in my fifth draft and I need help because I need somebody else to look at this thing um, to tell me what they think about it. Does it fail? Is it boring? Do I lose them in a certain spot? Does this make sense? Because not everything that I write that makes sense in my head makes sense to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so that's why I like to employ a dramaturg. It's, it's, I just had um, uh, a play done in Brooklyn a couple of years ago called The Final Word, which mm-hmm. is about free speech. Um, okay. And the, uh, the dramaturg, Noel McDuffie, who was also the director, was mm-hmm. outstanding. He was just so good at catching things um, mm. and asking questions. That's all he did was ask questions, mm. right? Um, and most of them were very helpful. I had a dramaturg. When I won the Panowski Award, I had a dramaturg mm-hmm. from uh, uh, Nevada, uh, Las Vegas, Doug Hill. He's amazing. Playwright himself. Ended up okay. directing one of his plays a couple of years later. Mm. And this is when I'm learning about the business. And he's asking questions. And he's pointing things out. And after a while, I'm thinking, he's a huge pain in the ass, this kid. Um, (laughs) But he was good at it. And he proved it to me the day we sat there. It was the the last session before we took a few months off before production. And he said, I've been timing this play. And you've got epiphanies that average every six to eight minutes. But there's a section here where we go 15 minutes without one. You might want to look at that. Oh, that's so interesting. And I just looked at him. I was like, you got to be bleeping kidding me. Really? And he just shrugged. (laughs) You know, and uh, that was, I looked at that and I thought, oh my God, how could he notice that? I know. And that's what a dramaturg does. Okay. That's Um, amazing. Hmm. It's just, it's point of view. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's what I try and do with the book is open playwrights up to the idea that other people might see things that you don't see particularly clearly or you've missed or something about the play that might need attention drawn to it. It's not a question of correcting anything. Mm-hmm. It's an added resource for the playwright to grab outside opinions that are not the playwright's own subjective, I'm so wonderful stuff, um, and try and understand the, how the play affects people who are not him or her. Right. Yeah, that's what it is. I, I think it's I think it's an amazing tool. Mm-hmm. And every time I dramaturg something, I tell the playwright, we go out for lunch, and I said, listen, you don't have to take anything I say. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm here just to offer opinions, offer, here to offer insights. If it helps you, terrific, wonderful. That's great. Mazel tov, you know. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't agree, you, that's that's your right. Mm-hmm. Okay. But this is what I do. So let's move on. Mm-hmm. Ask me anything you need and we're good. Mm-hmm. So, mm. but yeah. That's awesome. Um, so on, in On Stage, Off Stage, yes. uh, your podcast, mm-hmm. um, does it also air in like on the radio station in Ithaca? Because yeah, you were does. mentioning yeah. it does. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, I, I have two versions. I have the I've had to bleep it and cut it down version. 
Right. Um, uh, seriously, I, I, I had I had one woman on. She was artistic director for a local theater in Ithaca, uh-huh. and. I had to bleep her because she kept mentioning the name of the show that was coming up, which was the mother bleeper with the hat. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she mentioned it I mean, you can, you can swear on this podcast. Yeah, okay. Right, <laughs> We're not going on the radio. All right. <laughs> and she, she just kept coming back with, and the next show is the motherfucker with the hat. And I was like, okay, terrific. Right. And by the third time she mentioned it, she was like, it's the motherfucker. You know. <laughs> I'm like, that was the last time you're getting on this show. Uh, <laughs> well, I would blame the playwright. <laughs> yeah, probably. But I can't remember. I can't remember his name. I can't even um, right now. I oh, actually did okay, not yeah. see the play because I was out of town um, mm-hmm. for a while, and uh, but I heard it was wonderful. So hey, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but we, I do, so yeah. I, I on stage, offstage.org is where all the podcasts sit. And aside from doing interviews, we do short play readings. Yeah, that's so awesome. So how how does that how does that work? And do you? Sorry. Yeah, no worries. I, the, oh, uh, the home sounds East of Harlem. New York City. I love it. I'm, get, yeah. I'm getting homesick. I know it's so funny. Um, yeah, no. Anyone who who has lived here before, when they hear it, they're like, "Oh." <laughs> like, if I was still yeah. in the Bronx, I'd have my head out the window looking for a burning building. But okay. Um, yeah, no. I mean, I I live right near Mount Sinai, so and yeah. the like fire station and the police station. So like, <laughs> it's it, it could be any of those. I'm not sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So okay. Um, Play readings. Yeah. Play um, readings. Yeah. Do you time those out? Like, is it like? one every other month or how how does that work? I try and do four or five a year. Cool. And the okay. first couple of years I, I experimented with it just a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's become such a, an enjoyable part of the process for me. Um, Cause I, A, I love to direct and mm-hmm. yeah, the, this gives me a chance to do it now that Rehearsal rooms are all masked off and, you know, we can't do it mm-hmm. anymore. Um, but it's a great way to work with people who are not in your time zone. Yeah. And I get plays from all around the world. And diff- I, I, st- I do them thematically. I put out a subject and, okay. you know, I'll get 50 to 75 plays and about 35 will actually hit the subject. And okay. You know, out of, out of those. you do talk about in 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 workshopping the new play. You do talk about like how important it is to read instructions. Yes, <laughs> make it. <laughs> Don't waste artistic director's time. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah. Make it clean, which I think is like a very practical piece of advice. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know. The, yeah. Make it a comedy, and it's I get something where the dog eats the baby, and it's like no. No, <laughs> which could be a comedy, but <laughs> maybe not the way that playwright wrote. It. <laughs> That's going to have to be an exceptionally well-written play, <laughs> right? Um, right. But yes, I, I cannot stress enough. Follow the instructions. Yeah. Uh, don't send it to me three weeks early. Don't mm-hmm. give me six characters when I ask for three. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, the, we I, I weeded down to probably you know less than fifty percent of, of what I get. And yeah. um, after you know, after all that, it's pretty much subject. Does the play work? Is it within the time zone? Do I have people to cast it with? 
So that's it's it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It it kind of breaks every everything up. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Do you um, do you like put out call for submissions on on the website um, or like how does that work? I do on the website. I do mostly on Facebook. Uh, Actually, I'm having a big problem with Facebook right now because. You and everyone else. Uh, <laughs> yeah. God, I'm starting for many to, reasons, but I'm starting yeah. to loathe them so much. I've got my stuff, yeah. my my on stage, off stage, and my personal website on both yeah. hosted on Wix, which uh-huh. all of a sudden offends Facebook community standards. And I'm trying not to choke with uh. laughter over fa- the concept of Facebook community standards, right? Um, but they're basically ripping out everything that's even related. To my website or to my personal, yeah, you know, or to on stage, off stage. Um, so I've had to type it in, you know, on stage, off stage, space D O T space O R G, so it doesn't flag it. And oh my god! I know, right? And I've complained <laughs> to them so many times, and do they get back to me? No, no. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, it comes out on the website. I put it out on a couple of other. Uh, 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 notice boards like NYC Playwrights and Playwright okay. Center. I'll put the call out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and cool. yeah, so yeah, That's so yeah, awesome. I, get to, I get to meet a lot of really cool people. Yeah, that's so great. Um, d- you mentioned earlier that your one of your advisors is your December guest yes. for the podcast. Uh, can you can you give us a, like a little preview of like what you guys talked about? Uh, we did not talk about Goddard. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Um, it's it, it's Jackie Reingold, and she okay. is um, she's a wonderful playwright and an amazing instructor. Um, mm-hmm. She's also been a scriptwriter for the show uh, The Good Fight. For the past, I think, okay. five, six years. Wow. And yeah. That's um, awesome. And she's a member of a group who I featured back in March, I think, of this year called the Honor Roll. Okay. It's okay. Um, a 1,500 women over 40. Who, Whoa. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> abs- these, these are the women playwrights and actors and who have been – marginalized mm-hmm. okay by the you know it's, i'm just gonna say it out loud the whole white male supremacist nonsense bs of this profession yeah um because yes we need to know how badly you feel again um <laughs> so they got together and they formed a group and they act in concert with each other they help each mm-hmm. other they they're a force to be reckoned with Mm-hmm. And when I interviewed him back in March, I didn't get a uh, chance to talk to Jackie, but they put mm-hmm. out a um, recently put out a book, uh, 100 Monologues by these okay. women of the honor roll. And it was Jackie's idea. And she, uh, wow. she wrote the preface, I believe, um, mm-hmm. and finally gave me a chance to reconnect with her because it's I graduated in mm-hmm. 07, 2007, yeah. not 1907. Um, <laughs> And it was just so good to talk to her and to find out what she's been doing and Mm -hmm. talk about this wonderful book um, because the names are now getting out there again or or for the Mm -hmm. first time in in a lot of cases. And I love to see things like this happening. I'd I'd love to see Mm -hmm. playwrights get a little bit of of the, you know, 
the, the limelight because it's so yeah. hard for us to get a production. It's so yeah. hard for us to get any kind of notoriety. I mean, you don't go into this job for the fame, glory, or money. Um, <laughs> seriously, yeah. And yeah. but to see efforts made to bring people out there to showcase their work, mm-hmm. especially something like this. Um, so yeah, that's going up in December. Awesome. And we do monthly. Um, yeah. First of the month, if I get around to it, second or third, if I'm lazy and completely, you know, just overwhelmed <laughs> with other things, but they get out there every month. So don't worry about it. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the podcast production schedule, I, the, the, for the first season of this podcast, I was uh, releasing every week and, but that's kind of all I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, wait, I can't keep that up. <laughs> I know. So, so right now we're, yeah, the, the, the plan is biweekly, but it hasn't quite even done that. And yeah. so when you said you release once a month, I'm like, oh, yeah. That sounds nice. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm, I'm, so we'll see. I'm yeah. up to 148 episodes. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. I do myself. Mm-hmm. Nobody mm-hmm. else. Okay. I recorded yeah. on Zoom. Well, ex- mm-hmm. Before that, I used Skype. Yep. All right. Um, and I, in the early days, I went crazy editing things and dividing yeah. it up into topics and rearranging and... I learned after a while that with minimal editing, Mm -hmm. it flows beautifully. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's conversation. No one expects it to be logical. Um, Right. And especially with theater people. Anyway. uh, Yes. I have found that. Yeah. Interestingly. (laughs) Um, But uh, it's, it kind of works. I mean, I do everything on Zoom. Yeah. And yeah. But doing it, Twice a month, that's a lot of work because not only are you putting it together technically, you're doing promo as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And there's packaging promo and there's and then website. Writing and, 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 yeah. Yep. Yep. It's it's a whole thing. Yeah. Everyone, if, everyone who wants to start a podcast, <laughs> be warned. <laughs> like it's, hey. it's it's very satisfying, but it's a lot of work. So it is. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I love it. it. It's yeah, it's a chance for me to talk to people I've never met before to find out yeah things about theater that a I didn't know or b mm-hmm. you know it's it should be should be talked about. Yeah, really should be talked about because I you know it's. I'm an elitist when it comes to theater, and I think theater is probably the last art form where we can actually bring truths, ugly truths, to live audiences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay? And so many of those plays right now are being written, and they are so important Mm -hmm. that it's a way of communicating voices and situations that might not have had the chance otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm loving it. I'm absolutely, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of this is tragic and a lot of this is wonderful. And, mm-hmm. but it's people, every generation say theater is dying. It's going away. The kids aren't coming. And that's a load of crap. Yeah. Right. Anywhere yeah. there are going to be live performances, people are going to show up for them because there's always going to be that demographic. Could it be bigger? Mm-hmm. Could it be better? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But 
for what it is, theater you have to get dressed for. Or you should at least put clothes on anyway. Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and leave your cell phone off and don't open either the bag of Frito-Lays in the middle of Act right. 1, okay? But it requires a different thing than sitting at home you know, in, mm-hmm. in your, in your underwear uh, and mm-hmm. being entertained that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the reason why I think theater is not as numbers heavy as other art forms because it's public, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it, it makes a difference. Like uh, the, I mean, that, that's why it was sort of heartbreaking uh, over the pandemic to not be able to gather in those spaces um because it really you know and 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 zoom and workshopping and um you know like the writing group that i've been a part of this this past year and um all of that is is awesome um to to be able to you know at least have a little bit but of course it's not the same um as like sitting in a sitting in the dark together sitting in a space together and being able to react in real time and then the actors hear you reacting <laughs> and all mm-hmm. of that, you know, it's sure. all just kind of this collective experience that's been around for thousands ever. of years. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Thousands of years. I was a classics, like, you know, focus in, in, college and right. so you know ancient greece for sure <laughs> yeah. it's 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 there you know and it, it's it's not going anywhere and you know whether or not you can make money from it is like it's whole other thing <laughs> sorry I, <laughs> if, I, that, if that was the question then yeah yeah that's that's challenging yeah <laughs> somebody asked me once how i pictured the afterlife and i was like rehearsal room <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because that's where more most of the fun stuff happens. Right. I'm not sure if it's heaven or hell, but you know, I'll leave that up to whatever. Yeah, yeah. whatever play yeah. we're doing. No exit from the rehearsal room. Oh, Lord. <laughs> it's like, oh. yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, no, that's amazing. Um, and is there a play, a play reading that is coming up on the podcast that that you're able to talk about yet, or? Or not yet? No, we just finished the 2021 group, uh, which I specified had to feature roles for women over 40. Awesome. Yeah. Um, And I'm trying to decide the theme for uh, 2022. Okay. So uh, as soon as I hit on something, I'll put a call out and we'll see what comes my way. Cool. And where can people find that call? Facebook, maybe. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be heavy, heavily camouflaged in Facebook. Um, but no, the playwright, if they go to your website, uh, my website will have something. Yeah, um, okay. NYC Playwrights is a a, a, a free resource. Uh, the Playwright Center costs money, but it's one of the better resources for playwright opportunities, submission opportunities. Mm. Um, Facebook, of course, word of mouth, website, mm-hmm. on stage, off stage. Um, oh. yeah, somehow I'd seem to get enough submissions yeah. to make it worthwhile. Nice. So, yeah. Awesome. So lastly, mm-hmm. um, lastly and firstly, cause we talked about where you were coming from, right. um, and you're coming from Costa Rica. Um, is that where you have your B and B? Yes. 
Um, La Casa de la Luna Feliz. The House of the Smiling Moon. Or, oh, lovely. Yeah. Um, so how more, did that come about? Well, we decided that uh, it was time to see a different place in the world. And I had never yeah. been to Costa Rica. More had and loved mm-hmm. it there. So we found a really wonderful place uh, to live down here. We, we, we spend time back and forth, okay? So it's not that we're down here permanently. Okay. Um, but because we're so interested in the rest of the world and people, mm-hmm. um, we decided to open up a B&B. Mm-hmm. And it is specifically designed for those in recovery, for those okay. um, who are... Uh, it's medical recovery, political recovery, mental recovery, mm. especially theater recovery, because that's one of the worst, you know. Mm. Um, <laughs> and we host people who need time to chill out, time okay. to um, get their own back, to get away mm. from from all the nonsense. We're a very quiet place. We are up in the hills in a small town called Santiago de Puriscal, and okay. we are nowhere near gringo stuff. And that's okay. that's that's the term down here for folks who bring the European and the and the North American tradition with them and try and reinstall it in places that don't really need it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is going to make a lot of my friends down here very happy. Um, <laughs> but it's a question. It's. Like I said, it's for recovery. It's it's where you can have your own private little wing, and you can eat mm. dinner with us if you want. If you don't want to, that's perfectly fine. Mm. And you can read, you can sleep, you can just get away from the things you normally try and get away from on vacation. And mm. you know, the the beaches are an hour and fifteen minutes from us. There are attractions a couple of hours. Costa Rica is um, a little behind the world when it comes to accurate road signs or signs okay. at all in some cases. Uh, uh. Yeah, but it's it's a different world. It's Central mm-hmm. America, and it's not it's not New York City by an extremely long shot. But yeah. it's a beautiful place, and mm-hmm. it's a slice of life in a different culture. Mm-hmm. And you learn how other people live their lives when you're not in Omaha, when you're not in San Francisco, when you're not being assaulted 24-7 with infomercials and info information and you know TV and all that other sort of good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But it is a place to chill out and find some peace. And that's what we cater to. Nice. Yeah. That's amazing. Do people apply to come or, or uh, how does that We have a website work? which needs updating. It's called casalunafeliz.com. Okay. <laughs> and okay. now that I mentioned it, I will actually have to get around to updating the website. But <laughs> you can find contact information. You can find um, a, re- a, a, a good summation of what we are and who we are and what we offer. Okay. Um, the, the, the updating is pretty much just, you'll get all the critical information that you need right there. Yeah. Um, you can call us, you can email us, you can zoom us, you can text us, you know, whatever technology happens to be functioning at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so you should think That's about coming cool. down and chilling out. Yeah, I would 
love to. <laughs> Get away from all those sirens. I know. I know. It's so funny. I, yeah, no, my, <laughs> I, I am, um, oof, how many weeks? I'm 27 weeks pregnant right now. And Good for so, you. Wonderful. Yeah. Yay. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not <laughs> sure how much international traveling is going to be happening for me right. in the near future, but, mm-hmm. um, I will probably be in recovery at some point, <laughs> maybe in like a year. <laughs> it can be like, uh, I'm coming now. <laughs> so yeah, how well, many how many people do you have at a time usually? Uh, we can probably well, let's say we've got a room that is best suited for well, it can can host two people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got its own bathroom. It's got its own little kitchenette, own private entrance and exit. And mm-hmm. we've got a slightly smaller wing, which will also host two people. We've got extra cots and things like that, which mm-hmm. um, we can always put out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, before the pandemic, we were pretty much booked. We had people coming yeah. back and forth with a couple of days uh, off in between. And it was a joy. It was wonderful. Um, you meet new people and you go yeah. places, even if we've been there, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's fun to take people to play we had a guy who'd never been to the beach before ever ever whoa and i was gobsmacked and we took him down to manuel antonio which is a wonderful national park with an amazingly beautiful beach Mm. um, and lots to do it's tourista yes but it's manageable tourista Mm -hmm. um and I just watched him enter the ocean for the first time. <sighs> oh my god! In water up to his pipic, and you know it's belly, <laughs> that's a belly button, by the way. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> and he just stood there for an hour watching the waves come in. Wow. And I thought, this is what life is all about. Wow. Because honestly, I'd rather be at the beach than almost anywhere else. I love it. That's that's my husband. He would rather be at the beach than anywhere else yeah <laughs> pretty much yeah that it, it's it's pretty extraordinary to see like the the stress the line i mean it's not that lined but like it, mm. it's there's something that gets removed when he gets to be on the beach um oh, and I have like photos and I'm like, you look like 10 years younger. Yeah. <laughs> it's really strange. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's rejuvenating. Yeah. I mean, I go to the beach and all of a sudden I am literally frolicking. I haven't frolicked wow. since I was four and a half. Okay. Yeah. And the waves come in and I hurl myself into them and I get sand everywhere. And I'm, you know, it's just, Amazing. But the waves keep coming and I just keep playing in the salt water. And mm. I don't know. Some some Freudian is going to say, well, you're returning to the womb. And I'm like, shut up. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> but I kind of understand what they mean because all of a sudden it, it makes a child out of you again. And it's such a yeah. wonderful place to be. Mm. You know, That's extraordinary. Yeah. You know, I mean, the best job I ever had was being a, a nanny for triplets for God knows how many years, you know, oh, it's, wow. it's, it's just watching children mm-hmm. and being a child, allowing yourself to mm-hmm. go back and get rid of all the nonsense stuff that we, 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 we integrate when we try to be an adult. Um, 
you know, and, and just, and just, yeah, it's taking the cork out and just having fun for a while. It's, mm-hmm. that's what the beach does. Yeah. So, yeah. But there are lots of places down here that's, that's to take people to that are, you know, nature oriented and, mm-hmm. um, culturally oriented it's it's just so wonderful and so beautiful down here Mm. yeah that's amazing uh well i could talk to you for more hours i know right this was so much fun (laughs) i know you guys should calm down i know i know like you know it's so much more about theater so much more about everything you know but like yeah i mean I'll save it. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, thank you so much, George, for, for giving of your time. And, um, thank you so much for the opportunity. You know, it's, I spent so much time interviewing other people that it's really Mm -hmm. nice to be on the other end of it. Just, you know, for once. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. And you're, you're so good at what you do. This is fun. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. And I can't wait um, to to listen to your next episode of the podcast and um, yep. all the all the backlog as well. <laughs> so. there, there are some doozies in there, trust me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you know, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Not on this podcast, though. All my guests are amazing. <laughs> so, no, I mean, like, you know, it's it's fun because Goddard people yeah. are ready to to chat <laughs> and passionate about what they're passionate about and so yeah. it's so it's it's always fun the thing about but. goddard is it's goddard it exists i don't think anywhere else and mm-hmm. it gives artists of all mm-hmm. creations okay and and all vocations a chance to to be themselves and to extend themselves and to grow themselves mm-hmm. Um, in amongst a cohort of like-minded people who want to play with this thing that is life and create things. And as an experience, it was singular. I mean, I love being in a rehearsal room and I love being with a cast for six weeks, Mm -hmm. but those two weeks a year that I spent at Goddard Mm -hmm. were so special and I grew so much and my writing got better. And mm-hmm. I look back on every single minute with, with fondness. Um, yeah. And the stuff that's happening with Goddard right now, you can edit this all out. I don't care if you do or not, but it's <laughs> a, it's a crime what these people are trying to do. Mm-hmm. And it's the Philistines attacking at the gates, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're trying to destroy something that is, has been such a wonderful gift. Um, mm-hmm. the, the gift of spiritual life in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's, it's breaking my heart. It's, it's really breaking my heart that this, that these, the hay barn won't be there and music room yeah. might not be there and haunted Fitzpatrick won't be there. I'm not <laughs> even going to tell you about that, but um yeah. 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 It's I'm just grateful that the gift was around for and I hope it's around for another hundred years or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. Thank you for no, all the work we, you've been doing too. on that. It's oh it, yeah. yeah. It makes a difference and, and, and it matters. 
Yeah. And thank you to Mara also, because yeah. I know she's been doing a lot of work as well. Yeah. Um, on that. And maybe we can talk to her at some point if she wants She'd to. She'd love to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's hard when the things that we, you know, having, having done this podcast, you know, for, for this past year and talking in depth with Goddard alumni um, about what they loved about Goddard, but also just, just what amazing things they're doing out in the world, you know, and, um, and what they found special about it and, and seeing the priorities be shifted right now Mm -hmm. um, with the current administration is really hard (laughs) to to reconcile. It's literally painful. Yeah. 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 But yeah. So, well, Anyway. Thank you so much again, Thank George. Thank you. Oh, this was so much fun. For being here. Yeah, no, it was so much fun. And you'll have to come back again and come to the city and, and we can go get a drink or whatever. Welcome. Yeah, I'd love <laughs> yeah. that. That'd be great. Yeah. That would be amazing. Take care. You too. Talk to you soon, I hope. Talk soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. For more information about anything we talked about, please check the show notes. This podcast is a project of Goddard Alumni Council. It is produced, hosted, and edited by Amanda Faye Laxon. If you are interested in being a guest on the podcast or would like more information, please visit goddardalumni.com slash podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. See you next time.